Revelation chapter 4. We're continuing our series, uh, Ready for the Return of the King. Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Well, half of you should be saying, yes, amen, in Christ I'm ready. The other half of you should be saying, Pastor Ben, you haven't yet come to the end of the series. How can I yet be ready? We have quite a few chapters still to go in Revelation. May he make us ready for his return, whether that return is this afternoon or whether it is next week or whether it is next year. Amen. And what we're going to hear this morning is a wondrous vision, once again, of the reality, the ultimate reality of God at the centre of his creation. God at the centre. And so the, the first and foremost, the most uppermost, the most important thing I want you to get from today's sermon is, is Christ, is God at the centre of your life? Is he everything to you? Is he the one around whom you orientate your life? Because chapter 4 of Revelation screams to us that he, that he ought to be, that he is at the centre of creation, that he is creator of the world, that he is redeemer of the world. I wonder, when you look at the world, what do you see? Depends through which lens you look at the world. Depends which channel you watch. What do you see? Do we see chaos and confusion? Perhaps we've been around a while and perhaps we see predictable outcomes. Perhaps we see especially at this time of year, the futility and pain of war. Maybe we see nothing. The relentless frustrations and brokenness of the world sucking the hope and the optimism out of us. Perhaps we're in awe. I hope you're in awe this morning. In awe of the Lord. But there are so many other things that we can be in awe of these days in the world. The world offer, offers us fantasies. It offers us tempting riches, sensual experiences, glamorous locations and vacations. What is it that we are in awe of this morning? What do we see when we look at the world? What did the citizens of the Roman Empire at the time of the Apostle John see? Well, they saw uh, the unassailable might and power of the empire, the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. They saw the appeal of the culture of indulgence, wealth and sensuality. Friends, what do we need to see this morning? The beloved apostle, the one Jesus loved, he continues to show us what it is that we need to see. 
in this wonderful chapter. Why don't we look at it together and consider. May the Lord guide us and help us. May he open our inner eyes. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures. and They were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Wow. Powerful stuff. Praise God. May our voices echo in ready praise of our Lord. If you're taking notes, then I've got three R's this morning. Firstly, rejoicing. Secondly, reality. And thirdly, rule. Rejoicing, reality and rule. Now, if you want to just take a short sermon and note it down and then fall asleep, right? then this is what you should do, okay? Ask yourself the question, are you rejoicing in the reality of of God's rule okay are you rejoicing in the reality of God's rule that's basically what we're being asked this morning let's unpack rejoicing a little bit well we're privileged this morning friends we're privileged to have a glimpse of ultimate reality we have we're privileged to have a glimpse through a door into heaven Have you ever had such a marvellous vision cast before you? Before? 
Do you consider it a privilege to have this window on truth? I think we should be excited. I think we really should treasure this vision. Because it reveals wonders. It enables us to examine ourselves. Rejoicing. We're marvelling at the throne room of heaven. It's easy when we read Revelation to read such a vision and just think, you know, oh, that's, you know, that's a wonderful uh, experience that John had. We, we hear in, in text that he was uh, taken by the Spirit. He was in the Spirit, we're told. He's just had this, you know, kind of ethereal spiritual experience. Well, unless I have one, unless God gives me one, I can only wonder. I can only say thank you, Lord, on John's behalf. But the reality is this vision is recorded for us because it's much more than just John's subjective religious experience. It is a clear truth for each and every one of us. You see, this vision is a direct and logical progression from the messages that we've been hearing over these last weeks from Jesus to the churches. Those messages that Jesus has provided for the churches in Eastern Asia Minor. But we've, we've, if you remember, those seven churches represent the universal church, represent the church throughout time. So each one of those messages is relevant to us as well. So we, we should, should be gripped by John. We sh- he should have our full attention already in this series and we should continue to pay attention with chapter 4 because this is a logical and direct progression from what went on before those churches have been exhorted to hold on to what they've received the faith that they've been given and to become conquerors with Christ to realize the blessings and the promises of Christ. And now they're given a vision of the unparalleled majesty and centrality of the Lord Almighty. You see, for that mission that they've been encouraged to pursue in those messages, they are now given yet more substance and encouragement to worship. Remember, what is worship? Worship isn't a cleverly orchestrated experience in a chapel or a gathering place. Worship is the life of a believer. So this vision, this vision of God's glory is food. It's ammunition for the Christian life of worship. I want us to consider what it is that we're rejoicing in this morning are we rejoicing in the truth that God is at the center you see our rejoicing comes because we like John have received Christ's invitation into the holy of holies notice at the beginning of chapter 4 there before me was a door standing open in heaven the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here And I will show you what must take place after this. There's an invitation 
into the very throne room of God that goes out to John. And it's recorded here for us as well. How regularly are you in the presence of God in your worship? We enter, of course, as we're told in Scripture, by the very blood of Christ, the Son of God, the risen and conquering Lamb. The one who, as we'll see next week in chapter 5, the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. It says in chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10, the elders fall down before the Lamb in their worship and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. The Lord Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. That means he's worthy to be sovereign over the events of history. Those that have passed and those still to come. God is sovereign over all of them. But why is John showing us heaven and this vision of universal worship in the heavenly realm? Why does he need to show them? If they have the gift of faith, if they're born again believers, surely they, it's normal for them to have this kind of revelation, this kind of vision. Well, sadly, friends, that was not the experience of the culture surrounding the people of God. The church in the first century, like us, are immersed in the confusion of the world. This confusion of the world which obscures and even outright denies the God that made it. What was at the centre of their lives? their hopes and their aspirations? What were they worshipping? And what were the consequences of their false worship? What are the consequences of worshipping the world today for us? See, friends, the church is called out from the world. The church is invited into the throne room of God, the creator of all. We're to be in the world, but not of the world, as we've seen in Jesus' messages to the churches. And those seven churches, as symbolized by the lampstands, as we saw in chapter 1 and verse 20, they're also found here in chapter 4, verse 5. We see that before God, the seven lamps, or torches, through whom the very light of God shines empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church and the Holy Spirit are intricately woven together. The church conquers by the empowerment that he brings as he shines his light through us to the watching world. Dear friends, it's only this light through the one who brings us true light from God, the Lord Jesus. It's only through him 
that we're able to begin to see with clarity. I say we begin to see because even the apostles didn't have face-to-face clarity. Paul tells us, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, that for now we see as in a mirror dimly. So when you're reading these, these accounts of these visions in Revelation, don't worry if you don't see with razor-sharp clarity exactly everything that's going on. In some ways it's meant to be communicated like that. There's mystery. There's things that aren't fully fulfilled in our time. But it is all reality relevant to us today. God is at the centre. We see in a mirror dimly. We know in part, Paul says. In sharing this marvellous vision with us, the Lord, through his Apostle John, gives a foretaste of the wonders that await us. But it helps us to understand the true reality and perspective by connecting the message of the revelation of God from the Old Testament into the New. You see, John's Apocalypse, which is the other name given to Revelation, means the same thing, John's Apocalypse. It's a marvellous work of what's called intertextuality. Intertextuality. What does that mean, Pastor? Uh, Well, it means that it sums up and brings many threads together. The testimonies of the prophets, such as chapter 7 of Daniel, chapter 1 of Ezekiel, chapter 6 of Isaiah. John the Apostle, who's familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, he knows about all these uh, previous visions of the prophets, threads are brought together in his apocalypse as he demonstrates this high Christology, the identity of Christ as the living God, the one sitting on the throne, one to whom all these messages point. What better way to encourage the church than to unmistakably point to Christ as the centre of all things. You see, John knew his Bible. He believed that every word that came from the mouth of God was true. What about us? Do we dare to invest our lives in Scripture? I mean, not just buying and owning a Bible and occasionally reading it. Do we dare invest our lives in the truths of Scripture? Do we dare turn ourselves over to the righteous rule of God? As the writer of Psalm 33 that we started off the service with says, God fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. He fashions our hearts, friends. He observes all our deeds. How can we not invest our lives in the truths of Scripture if we believe that God exists? 
Are our hearts being shaped by Jesus? Is the Lord pleased with our deeds? What we rejoice in will give us a clue. Right rejoicing always has God at the centre. At the centre of the entirety of our lives, not just our worship experience in gatherings like this. Secondly, let's consider reality. You see, whether or not we consider that it's worth the investment depends on our view of reality. Whether our eyes have truly been opened or not. See, looking at the church from a worldly perspective, a perspective that lacks the faith, knowledge and experience of the Son of God, looking from that perspective, the church was apparently, in John's day, overshadowed by the pomp and grandeur of the Roman Empire. By this time, the empire had spread across three continents, Europe, Asia and Africa. The prestige and might of the Roman Empire was unsurpassed in its time. To worldly eyes, the church was insignificant, unlike everyone and anything else at the mercy of the empire. But the truth was that the imperial cult was fearfully idolatrous and oppressive. By the time of the emperor Domitian, who ruled at the time when Revelation was written, the emperor would be addressed in his triumphal processions in this way. The emperor would be addressed like this. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God. Can you believe that? Can you believe that a man would be addressed? Worthy are you, our Lord and our God. It might surprise you. You might be sitting there thinking, well, that was in ancient times. You know, they believed some crazy stuff back then. Friends, we're not a million miles away from such nonsense today. The reality is, is that without God, chaos ensues to such a point that we deify ourselves and our experiences and our desires. We begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. Earthly reality at the time of John had become badly out of alignment with the truth. And this is what always happens with the absence of a biblically anchored understanding of God and of ourselves. What I'm trying to say to you folks is that reality isn't necessarily what we assume it to be. Reality isn't what the unbelieving world says it is. Reality is what God says it is. Amen? Without a biblically anchored understanding of God and ourselves, earthly reality comes way off track. Friends, truly, either Christ reigns or there is an increasing chaos. And so today we have fragmentation of the God-ordained family unit which is built on one man and one woman for life, 
raising their children in the safety and security of a loving home, governed by the one who rules all things. The stewardship of creation falls victim to compromise and concession to worldly priorities, as we saw just yesterday with COP26. And so the wonderful habitation that God made for us grows more and more tainted and polluted because of sin. Wars break out, left, right and centre, because of misdirected desires, because of vanity, because of jealousy, because of a desire for revenge. Taking the position of God, Bible tells us quite clearly, revenge is mine, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not ours. It's his alone. Let us praise God and thank him that he actively constrains sin. When things start to get too out of control, he reins it in. He's the one who puts the limits on where the the ocean meets the land. He's the one who says enough is enough. He's the one who draws the line in the sand. Thank God that he still does that today. Amen? Thank God that there's a limit to how debauched and how perverted our world can become. And praise God that he makes creation new. Praise God that he opens eyes to see the truth, to see the glory of the throne room of God. Amen? And so in Revelation 4, we're given a glimpse of ultimate reality, an objective perspective of the God who rules over all things, the God who even rules over the tempestuous ocean, so feared by the people of Israel, but which is calm at the feet of Almighty God. Verse 6. Notice how the, the sea is perfectly calm and flat. It's just like a crystal. Flat at his feet. Ultimate reality reveals that the Lord our God is at the centre of everything and everything is calm at his feet. Maybe there's a lack of calmness in your life. Maybe the news on the TV unsettles you relentlessly. Know that Calmness is found in Christ. Your reconciliation, your peace is found in him. And he has abundant reserves to give you. As he rules from his throne. That's the third point this morning is rule. In today's text it's unmistakable who rules. Peace and power emanate from Christ's throne. And the concentric circles of worshippers around the throne of God, demonstrate the unity and order of creation rightly worshipping the Creator. When we look at the world around us, it's not rightly orientated, much of it. There is still order there, but there's also chaos. But here in this picture of the throne room, everything is rightly ordered. And it will ultimately be so for us all. The faithful conquerors at the church in Laodicea, as we saw two weeks ago, they were promised. What were they promised? 
that they would sit with Christ on his throne. Amen? Now in chapter 4, we see that that throne in heaven is surrounded by 24 other thrones, the elders sitting on thrones. They have crowns. Also, as was promised to the church at Philadelphia, chapter 3 and verse 11, they were promised that they would have crowns. The church will have thrones and the church will have crowns. But these elders are ready to lay down their crowns before Christ in worship. You may have noticed that there's fearful beasts in this chapter. These fearful beasts are covered with eyes, proclaiming the glory, honour and thanks to the one who sits on the throne. Verse 9. They surely represent power and authority perfectly oriented in the worship of God. Just think about this for a minute. If you've studied ancient civilizations, I don't know if you have, maybe you've been to the British Museum and seen some of the statues that are on display there, some of the huge edifices, some of the impressive beasts that are carved out of rock, some of them with wings, snarling faces, huge legs, the beasts and symbols of the world's empires, such as the, such as the great lion of the British Empire. Well, they may seem mighty, but unless they bow down to Jesus, they are blind. And one day, all will crumble and fade before the everlasting glory of the rule of the Lamb. Amen? So what you see here with these creatures that are covered with eyes, these are creatures and representative of authority that recognises God's right to rule. The world in correct order and correct perspective acknowledges God's rule. So no matter how big empires are, no matter how powerful and influential they are, if they acknowledge God's rule, then they will be correctly ordered and correctly orientated. But if not, then they will be swept aside. How amazing, how wondrous it is to know that in Christ, rescued and purchased by his blood, our lives are now intertwined and dependent upon him. We are now part of the vine, attached to and nourished by the root. We are no longer confused and wandering aimlessly from one failure to the next. The seductions and false promises of the world no longer appeal to those who have had this encounter with the Lamb of God. And so I wonder this morning if you feel what the Apostle feels. Do you know the liberating and life-giving awareness of the power of the majestic love of God? The one who invites us to give up all our hearts' false suitors and exchange them for a clarity of thought and understanding that explains everything. Who God is. Who we are. 
why we were made and what the ultimate purpose of the universe is. Look with me at verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What does that mean, have their being? It's more than just, okay, we've appeared, so therefore we owe owe that to God. Our being is who we are. Our being is how we understand, what we understand, why we understand, what we do. Friends, rightly orientated, if God is ruling in our lives, then he is at the centre. He is determining our very being in every aspect of our character and our person. All of this comes, as John explains, through hearing the one whose voice is like a trumpet. Verse 1. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, if we hear his voice, and he enables us to listen, then we will rejoice. We will rejoice at the reality of his rule in our lives, all the days of our lives. Because the one whose timing and purpose governs everything, the saints of the old and the new covenants, represented by the 24 elders, They all worship and rule together with their Lord and their God. And he shares his throne with them. Verse 4. Is that your experience of God? Such a wondrous, awesome, generous, loving God. Shall we bow our heads in prayer?